starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie! Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV, do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, But Ma, That's My Favorite Movie. And I'm your host, Bela Day. If you're new to this podcast, let me tell you how it works. I grew up in the blockbuster era where it was fun to go rent movies. So I am so excited to share the many movies that I have seen, which tend to be older by default. Now, whether you're hearing about a movie for the first time or going down memory lane, my job is to bring you two movies that fit into a different theme each episode. You should also know that there will be multiple parts to majority of these themes. Now, when discussing the movies, I give you some of the basics, which includes a summary up until the major plot point, but I don't spoil the ending in case you never heard of it and want to watch it. So, You are in for a treat today, which I hope will keep you coming back for more. Today's episode is titled, But Ma, That's My Favorite Jim Carrey Movie. Now, I'm going to go into the theme, but it is pretty self-explanatory. But before we get into that, let me tell you about my social media pages and my website. We are available on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So please follow any of the pages where you will get a sneak peek about upcoming episodes, which I do with a game called Guess the Theme slash Movie. My website is butma, that's my favorite movie.com. You will be able to write reviews, give movie or theme suggestions, and more. All of the handles to the social media and link to the website are in the show notes slash description box below. Make sure if you're loving the episodes to go ahead and give us a review on the Apple podcast app slash my website. If you do, you'll get a shout out on one of my episodes. All right, so let's go ahead and get into this theme. So What I wanted to do in this episode is to honor and reflect on some of the movies by one of my favorite comedic actors, Jim Carrey. And I wanted to choose movies that actually showed his range. Jim Carrey is iconic. And I wish the energy that Jim Carrey had at 31, I had at 29. Jim Carrey was bouncing off the walls, was so animated, so cartoonish. He was absolutely perfect in his craft and what he did. And Jim Carrey brought such a different flavor to comedy that I personally hadn't really ever seen before. Um, The only other person that I can think low-key that can match Jim Carrey was like Robin Williams because he was amazing incredible at doing the different voices and just the way they moved and they were just forces to be reckoned with and I just love that um, I was able to grow up and watch his movies and I just really 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 appreciate him and I know I said um, that Robin Williams was on his level 
but let me go ahead and backtrack a little bit (laughs) because there was also Chris Tucker. There was also Eddie Murphy. There's so many different, um, comedic actors at the, out there that I grew up watching that were absolutely amazing. Oh, also Martin Lawrence. Oh my God. I cannot forget Martin Lawrence. I mean, just the energy these actors had were crazy insane. And (laughs) I swear they had a different kind of energy that was so special and so entertaining to watch on the big screen. And it was just such an honor to be able to witness their journey and seeing the multiple movies that they were in. But anyways... We're talking about Jim Carrey, and I am so excited to talk about two of his movies that I actually really, really love, and I'm excited to share them with you. All right, so let's go ahead and get into it. Lights, camera, action. It's party time. P-A-R-T-Y. Because I gotta... That quote is by Stanley Ipkiss, and this is from the movie The Mask. This movie was released July 29th, 1994. The screenplay writer was Mike Werb, who also wrote Face Off and Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. The director is Chuck Russell, who also directed The Blob and Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Now... I would like to declare that I believe this was my first Jim Carrey movie that I had ever seen. And when I was rewatching this movie, my mother had told me that me and my sister used to watch this movie a lot. And I'll be honest with you, I have a great memory of this movie and I have not seen it in years, probably to be honest, in like over a decade, but what I will tell you, when re-watching this movie, there wasn't anything that I had forgotten. It was like I had just seen the movie yesterday. I remembered every little single thing about this movie. And to me, I feel like it has aged very well, which actually kind of makes me think of a maybe like a little segment I want to do kind of in between episodes. But... Yes, this movie to me really ages well and is still absolutely amazing and still funny till this day. And this movie came out 27 years ago and I feel like it still stands the test of time. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the summary. Now, Stanley Ipkiss is an average guy who is kind of nerdy, slightly goofy and sort of a klutz and he works at a bank so Stanley actually has a crush on one of his co-workers and it's made evident when he buys two tickets to this concert slash event when he gives her the tickets he asks when he should pick her up and she tells him that her friend came into town And if he could snag one more ticket so that her friend would be able to come along. So she's making it pretty obvious that she wants her friend to go and maybe not go with Stanley. And so he basically ends up taking an L, which means that he takes this loss 
and he just doesn't put up a fight and he tells her that she should just go with her friend. Now his friend, Charlie, who's also his coworker, notices that basically he gets dissed by this coworker and he tells him like, Hey dude, I know this nightclub. There's a bunch of babes there. This will totally cheer you up. Maybe find you someone to hook up with that we can go to tonight. And, you know, Stanley doesn't seem too hopeful about it, but he doesn't refuse Charlie's offer. Now, out of nowhere, this very beautiful woman comes into the bank. And, you know, Charlie, who thinks he's this ladies man, instantly greets her. But she ends up going to Stanley to ask for help about opening a bank account. Now, of course, because Stanley isn't sure how to talk to women that he finds attractive, he ends up, you know, looking nervous and acting goofy. We actually end up learning that her name is Tina. And unbeknownst to Stanley, while he thinks that Tina is flirting with him, she actually has a bigger plan. Tina is actually pointing her purse towards the vaults and she's doing that because inside of her purse, we can see that she has a camera. Now we end up going to meet Dorian at his business, who is actually looking at the live footage from the camera feed from Tina's purse. And basically Dorian has rounded up some guys who he is going to use to rob that bank. So later that night, Stanley goes to the club with Charlie and they have some lady friends with them. But ironically, Stanley doesn't even get into the club. What happens is as Charlie goes to greet the bouncer, he slips him some cash, him, the ladies come in. Stanley was behind one of the girls. And so as the girls get past the rope, you know, the guy puts the rope down and Stanley doesn't get to go in. But Stanley's like, okay, it was a mistake because obviously I'm with him. I should be able to get in. And so he ends up undoing the rope. And, you know, you're not supposed to do that. That's forbidden. And the bouncer gets really upset. And then he ends up getting Stanley kicked out. So he didn't even get into the club and he got kicked out. And as Stanley is waiting for his valet, because he has a loaner car because there's these mechanics who are actually jipping him, trying to rip him off. And so they had gave him a loaner car for the night because he needed a car. And this is a hoopty. Like, I mean, this car is absolute trash, okay? Um, it literally looks like a box of rust. And what ends up happening is as he's waiting for his valet, Tina, who was at the bank, shows up and she's dressed really nice and she's coming out of this limo and of course Stanley kind of likes her so that catches him off guard because not only was he just standing there waiting for his crappy loaner car but he also had water splashed on him and when they threw him he got some um, water on his coat so he just looks terrible he's not in the best of mood because he was expecting at least the night to go right but of course it didn't and, you know, Tina just kind of is polite to him, but obviously Stanley knows that nothing's going to happen between them tonight. So as Stanley is on his way home, he ends up stalling on the, on a bridge. And pretty much at this point, Stanley's like upset. And he's like, can this night get any worse? 
So he just decides to step out of the car and to kind of look over the bridge and he sees what looks like to be a person possibly drowning. So immediately Stanley runs down there and he actually notices once he gets closer, like in the water, that it's just a bunch of like trash and objects clumped together. And he ends up finding this wooden mask within the, that little cluster. And he takes the mask home and it's a wooden mask. That's like basically just one dimensional. It's not like you can pull it over your head, like a Halloween mask. It's just like, it just goes in front of your face. So at one point, you know, Stanley's curious and he decides to put the mask in front of his face. Now, what Stanley doesn't realize is this is a magical mask. And when he does that, it does cause this mask to pretty much like enclose around his head. And it turns him into a completely different person. And this person is like a cool, still goofy, really cartoonish version of who Stanley is. Oh, and I can't forget a romantic. And <laughs> this movie is just, is really, really good. Um, now, side note, a bit of a spoiler. So the character Dorian at one point gets a hold of the mask. And I just want to say this. When I saw Doran's character put on that mask, that was literally what nightmares are made of. I remember that scaring the crap out of me as a kid. And I hated when his part came up because it was so scary. Like if I would have saw him walk into the same building I was in, I would either hide somewhere or I would run for my life because it is not a pleasant sight at all. Now, Jim Carrey, he looked kind of creepy with the mask, but because of his antics, it made you more comfortable. It made you uh, more at ease with him wearing it. Not so freaked out, but when Dorian wore, oh my God, that was the worst. All right, let's go ahead and get into this cast. So, of course, we have Mr. Jim Carrey, who plays Stanley Ipkiss slash The Mask. Now, some other movies he was in is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, and Bruce Almighty. Uh, next, we have Cameron Diaz, who plays Tina Carlisle. She was in The Sweetest Thing and Charlie's Angels. And a side note, last season, I had like a Goldie Hawn moment where I end up picking like all of these movies that had Goldie Hawn in it. And I'm like, I didn't realize how many freaking Goldie Hawn movies I had seen and loved. And I think I'm going to end up having that moment with Cameron Diaz because this is now the second movie I've talked about with her in it. But we shall see. Uh, next up, we have Peter Regert, who plays L Lieutenant Mitch Kellaway. He was in National Lampoon's Animal House and Oscar. We have Richard Jenny, who plays Charles. He was in the Platypus Man series. We have Peter Green, who plays Dorian. He was also in Pulp Fiction and Bounty Hunter. We have Amy Yasbach, who plays Peggy Brandt. And she was in Problem Child and Pretty Woman. And last but not least, we have Tim Bagley, who plays Irv. And he was in Knocked Up in Will and Grace. All right, let's get into some fun facts about the movies. Maybe some things you didn't know, or maybe you did. But let's get into it. 
Okay, so before we get into this first fun fact, something hilarious about this movie is I never noticed how big Jim Carrey's teeth were when he wore the mask. And I didn't notice that because he actually talked very, very well. So this is something interesting. The first fun fact we have is originally the big teeth were only supposed to be used in silent scenes when he was the mask. But being Jim Carrey, he learned to talk with the teeth so well that it actually added more wackiness to his character. And, you know, only Jim Carrey would learn how to do that because I didn't realize his teeth were so big because he talked so well, like there wasn't a lisp. It wasn't like you were, um, it wasn't like I had a hard time hearing him. He talked so well with those big teeth. I didn't notice they were that dang big. He had some big chompers in his mouth and I didn't notice. Maybe you noticed it, but I never did until I literally rewatched this and then, you know, uh, found this cool fact. And I said, oh, that is so funny. All right, the second fun fact that we have is that, okay, Chuck Russell, who is a director, he actually said that they saved a lot of money on special effects after Jim Carrey was cast. And it was because Carrie's body movements were so flexible and cartoonish that they didn't see the need to enhance them digitally. Only Jim Carrey, only Jim Carrey could do that. And something interesting was, and something I just like to do in general, when I look at these older movies, I'm always curious to see how old they were because a lot of actors in the 90s looked like they were in their 20s and they were in their 30s, like early 30s, late 30s. And they looked like they were either like, maybe late teens, early 20s, maybe late 20s. But you will be so surprised. In Jim Carrey's movie, this movie, he was 31 years old. So that is why I made that comment that I wish I had the same energy that Jim Carrey had at 31. I wish I had at 29. Because, (laughs) I mean, I don't know where they came up with all that energy, but it it was incredible to see And as you can see, he did amazing in this character. Um, Third fun fact we have is this is actually Cameron Diaz's first acting role. And I want to say this was the first movie I ever saw Cameron Diaz in. And you know what? She did not do too bad in this movie. And (laughs) something I think is funny and something I've actually noticed in a lot of uh, Cameron Diaz's movies and... (laughs) Maybe you'll start noticing this too. But she did a lot of dancing. She did dancing in this movie. She did dancing in The Sweetest Thing. She did dancing in Charlie's Angels. And those are three I could think of off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure there's more. But I'm like, she always played this such as bubbly. She was like that girl you wanted to be friends with, like you had to be friends with. All right, so the fourth fun fact that we have is... This movie is actually based on a Dark Horse comic book series of the same name, which actually comprised very dark horse stories on how the mask would murder people with cartoon antics. 
And the director, Chuck Russell, had said that initially the movie script has started off with that kind of dark tone before actually being transformed as a vehicle for Jim Carrey's unique comedy. And when I tell you they did so well with managing to have the script be so complimentary of his talent. So I commend them on that because they did a very, very good job. And I'm glad they went into the route that they did. They, it was a bit lighter. Um, when you hear some of the jokes now, they are more adult. They are more um, darker. But um, on the outside, it, it was it was much um, lighter than I think it could be. So I'm glad that they did go that route. All right, and the fifth and final fun fact that we have is the line, you love me, you really love me, after the Mask Award acceptance speech in the Congo Bongo is actually a parody of Sally Field's infamous 1985 Oscar acceptance speech when she won the Oscar for Best Actress for Places in the Heart, which was in 84. And her actual words were, you like me right now you like me but is often misquoted as you really like me or you really love me and that is true because i thought she's always said you like you you like me you really really like me and um a fun little side note here uh that is relevant to this when i went to acting school i had this one teacher who had actually said that when sally field did that line he said because she's actually uh, pretty crazy. She's a crazy individual. And when he said that, like basically insinuating that she had literal mental issues, like that wasn't a gimmick or that wasn't her acting. Like she literally has something wrong. And it made me curious because I'm like, well, I wonder if he had a bad experience with her. And then that's what he tells people. Or if maybe she really is kind of off the rocker. I don't know. It's all alleged. I'll say allegedly Sally Field is crazy. And so now every time I see her in movies, I kind of look at her sideways because I'm like, girl, are you okay? But yeah, this movie is super, super fun. If you've seen every other Jim Carrey movie and this is one you may haven't seen, uh, 10, 10 recommend. All right, let's go ahead and get into our second movie here. Lights, camera, action. He's seducing my girlfriend with my words and my things. He stole her underwear. Jesus Christ, he stole her underwear. That quote is by Joel, who is played by Jim Carrey. And the next movie we're about to discuss is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. This movie was released on March 19th, 2004. The writer is Charlie Kaufman, who also wrote I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And the director is Michelle Gundry, who also wrote Be Kind Rewind. All right, let's go ahead and get into the summary we have here. So it is Valentine's Day and Joel decides to skip work and take a random trip to Montuck. Now on this trip, he is pondering with his thoughts about how he feels, about his surroundings. And he ends up seeing a woman with blue hair and an orange sweatshirt on a beach that he decided to go to. Now, he ends up going to a diner after that. 
and the woman is there as well, sitting some booths away from him. And she does actually acknowledge to him, like she raises her coffee mug to him, like, hey, seen you before. A nice little gesture. And this actually makes Joel blush. And so he ends up jotting down his thought immediately after her doing that. And it's, why do I always fall for women who give me any sort of attention? So then after the diner, Joel goes to the train station and he's waiting for the train when the same woman walks up and ends up getting on the same train as him. So it's like a coincidence that she's everywhere he is or is it? All right. So once they're on the train, she does end up sparking a conversation with him and they find out they're going to the same place. Even more freaky, right? She ends up asking him if she knows him from somewhere because he looks familiar to her. So they end up having this interesting conversation and we find out her name is Clementine. Now, Clementine is very interesting And she has a unique style and she's a little wacky. Joel, he's laid back, more passive. So he pretty much lets her take the lead in this conversation until she gets really, really close to him. Because at first she's sitting on the opposite side, then she's sitting in front of him, then she sits next to him, and then she ends up sitting like really close to him. And at that point, he's like, hey, um... And of course, he's passively doing this. You know, I got a lot of stuff I need to write. And she's like, oh, okay. She takes the hand and moves back to where she was sitting. Once off the train, Joel ends up getting to his car and riding home. And he ends up seeing her walking on the sidewalk. So he does offer her a ride. And when he drops her off, she offers him to come inside and have a drink with her. And... She's coming on pretty strong to him. She's making it obvious that she already likes him, even though this is the first time they met. And like Joel being the passive person he is, he kind of goes along with it. And also he did make it clear that he kind of falls for anyone who does give him attention, which I guess you can kind of figure that maybe he doesn't get it a lot. So that's probably why he falls so easily. So as the night is dwindling down, Joel decides to leave and she gives him her phone number. Once Joel gets home, he does end up calling her and this makes her happy. And you can tell this makes him kind of blush, like almost like that, you know, school kids talking to each other on the phone. They have a little crush on each other type of vibe. The next time that Clementine and Joel meet, um, she ends up taking him to this like frozen pond. And of course, Joel's hesitant. And what we kind of learned from this moment is that Clementine is the risk taker. She's the more impulsive person while Joel is more, he's more quiet. He's a man of few words. He's more cautious and she's going to become this person that is going to bring him out of his shell. That's going to bring him out of his comfort zone, which could be good, which can be good because opposites attract right now fast forward to us seeing Joel crying in the car and we're thinking what the heck happened right like everything seemed seemed like it was going well so Joel drives home parks and when he's walking to his apartment he notices these men are following him in this van and it kind of creeps him out and you can kind of hear them faintly being like is that him is that him I think that's him And so Joel kind of goes on his way. He goes to the mailbox. A neighbor is getting their mail as well. 
And uh, people are used to seeing him and Clementine together. So the neighbor ends up mentioning like, oh, what'd you get for your girl? Or are you going to make any reservations? Because Valentine's a couple of days away. And you could tell, obviously, something has happened between Joel and Clementine. So Joel goes to his apartment. Um, he ends up getting his pajamas. He uh, takes a pill and he looks out his blinds to see that that van is actually outside of his apartment now which is even more creepy but it doesn't seem like it alarms him too too much so the pills begin to make him drowsy and we end up seeing outside of the apartment where when all of the lights are out in Joel's place the guys are like okay it's showtime then we end up seeing Joel laying on a bed with this device over his head and then we're taken back to the memory of him at the mailbox and it looks like that one's kind of going away, but not really. And so then we're moved to a different memory. We're basically, we're getting a glimpse into what happened between Joel and Clementine. And it's basically Joel um, talking to, I believe it's like, I don't know if this is his friend or maybe his brother. Sorry that I'm missing this detail, but he's talking to someone that's close to him. And he's expressing what's happened. So he's telling them he tried to call Clementine, but she changed her number. Um, but he did get her a gift and he tried to give it to her at her job. But when, but when he went up to her job, she treated him like he was a customer. And it wasn't like she was mad at him and she was ignoring him or pretending like she didn't know him. It was like she genuinely did not know who he was. And she had already moved on and had another boyfriend because he came up there and he's like, oh, hey, Tangerine. And they like kiss and stuff. And this confuses Joel because you could tell he does not know how to handle these kind of situations. And so he isn't sure what to do. And when he's telling his, you know, close friend this, they, well, not they, but the guy ends up showing him this card that was sent to him. And... Joel ends up finding out about this business that basically helps people to erase someone from your life. And Joel finds out that Clementine got a service for them to erase him, but he has no idea why this happened. He's in the dark. So after kind of contemplating and doing his own investigation, he realizes that he quite possibly needs to do the same thing. And so he makes the commitment to do what she did to him. But whenever the procedure is starting, which is where we see him on the bed with the device, he ends up being in his own head and he realizes he isn't quite ready to let her go. So as his memories are being wiped away, he is fighting to keep Clementine there while trying to hide her in other memories that he's had before he met her. So... This movie is very unique. The plot is very unique. Uh, Clementine, the character, is very unique. Then, of course, this is the movie where we are seeing a different side of Jim Carrey. Now, normally we know him as this goofy, really funny guy. But in this movie, we get an actual person who has feelings, who is more solemn, who is more quiet, who is more reserved. So this is definitely way more different than other movies that you've seen him in. And then also what we get from this movie is 
it's just this very intricate, unique plot that has these beautiful transitions. And I want to say that these transitions in this movie are not very traditional. And please, if you are a professional editor and you know about history of transitions and all of that good stuff, please correct me in the comments. But normally the transitions that we get in this movie are normally like in fantasy or like sci-fi movies, like more common in that type of setting. But we have this movie, which I guess you can kind of say has a bit of fantasy in it because of the concept. But you have like these scenes like in a normal movie, like someone that's moving from Let's say it's a scene that they're in the library and then the scene transitions to where they're at home and it's very smooth and it's just like a quick letting you know we're in a different setting. But in this movie, there's a bunch of transitions where the different settings are intermingling. So let's say you're in the library and then all of a sudden there's your bed from your apartment in the library and it's like you go to lay on it and then all of a sudden we're back at your house. But the way that they do it, it's so beautifully done. And it's so interesting to watch. And you, it's like you can't look away because you're trying to figure out what's happening. And it's so, so cool. All right, let's go ahead and get into this cast. Okay, of course, we have Jim Carrey, who plays Joel Barish. Um, some other movies he was in, uh, which are The Cable Guy and Fun with Dick and Jane. Uh, then we have Kate Winslet, who plays Clementine Krushenik. I think that's how you say that. Um, but she was also in Titanic and then worked again with Leo DiCaprio in Revolutionary Road. Uh, then we have Elijah Wood, who plays Patrick. He was in Lord of the Rings and The Good Son. We have Mark Ruffalo, who plays Stan. Um, he was in The Avengers in 13 Going on 30. We have Jane Addams, who plays Carrie. She was in The Poltergeist and Happiness. We have Kristen Dunst, who plays Mary. She was in Spider-Man and Interview with the Vampire. We have David Cross, who plays Rob. He was in Scary Movie 2 and the Arrested Development series. And then last but not least, we have Tom Wilkinson, who plays Dr. Mirzwak, who played in Michael Clayton and in The Bedroom. Next up, we have our fun facts. All right, so first fun fact that we have. So the idea for this film was actually brought to Michelle Gundry by his friend, who was an artist named Pierre, who actually suggested you get a card in the mail that says, someone you know has just erased you from their memory. Okay, that sounds like such an awesome prompt and so many things you can do with it. And... I just think that's so cool that just from one sentence, he was able to create a whole film based off of it. All right. The second fun fact that we have here is so when Joel is actually in his head and he is visiting his session of the erasing process, they actually didn't have any special effects that were used for the two Joels in the one scene. Jim Carrey had to take off his hat and jacket when he was not in the shot and had to quickly sit down in the chair and vice versa when he has to stand up. So it was like basically a wardrobe kind of change or wardrobe shift there just really quickly. And when you look at the effects in this movie, you would really think that they 
did some sort of CGI or some sort of special effects, but apparently that was not the case, which would bring us to our next fun fact that we have is virtually all of the most bizarre and fascinating scenes in this movie were created with old-fashioned camera editing, lightning, and prop and set tricks. If you have not seen this movie, please watch it. It is so crazy. It's so unique. I just can't even say that enough. This movie is just unique. And um, the use of digital effects were actually very limited. So even with the kitchen scene where Joel is a child, what they did was created an elaborate forced perspective set up similar to some used by Peter Jackson in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And a side note, whenever I went to visit Warner Brothers Studios, it turns out that they had this one section in the self-guided tour where basically they broke down the different elements in film, like editing, angles, sound, And they had the setup of what they did in Lord of the Rings, how they made like the giants look giant and the people look small. And you could actually sit on the staged area and then the cameras were set up and you could see on the screen what it looked like. So I thought that was cool. All right. Our fourth fact that we have here is Seth Rogen auditioned for the role of Patrick. Now, Patrick was played by Elijah Wood. So... I could see him playing that role, um, but I think Elijah did very well. All right. And the fifth fun fact that we have is Writers Guild of America ranked the script as 24th in their list of greatest screenplays of all time above The Wizard of Oz. I thought that was so, so interesting um, because I guess you expect the classics to say towards the top. But of course, over time, there are great and wonderful things that are created that will be put on a list of you know the most brilliant things that have came out so I thought that was interesting that this movie went above The Wizard of Oz being that that movie is such a staple in so many ways because they did such groundbreaking things with that film and then just the message of the film itself it's pretty mind-blowing. All right, and the sixth and final fact that we have, and to be honest, please, if you know any information about this, let me know, because I thought this was super, super interesting. So Denzel Washington turned down the role of Joel Barish. I'm trying to imagine this movie with Denzel Washington, and I cannot. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people that you wouldn't picture to be in films can do amazing, can surprise you, can give you what you never thought you'd get in the film. But I guess because Jim Carrey's in it and Jim Carrey and Denzel are like on two different spectrums almost, in my opinion, I can't see it. I I couldn't even imagine what this movie would be with Denzel, but maybe he could do really good in this. This would have been something like really different for him. But yeah. And you know what? That is all I got for you today. Now, Uh, Make sure to comment below if you plan on seeing these movies or if you already have, please go ahead and share your thoughts about the film. Also, if you have any other behind the scenes info on any of the films or if you may have some corrections on what I said, then do not be afraid to comment it below. 
before I head out, I want to thank my listeners. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. You're a real one, period. And if you're a new listener, well, thanks for stopping by and giving my podcast a chance. I appreciate it. Well, you know what time it is. The show's over, the credits are rolling, and I'll see you at the next show time. <laughs>